You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. And welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 338. Hello, hello to everybody out there in listener land. <laughs> this is the Family Gamers Podcast. We are the Family Gamers. I am your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. I'm going to tease a little bit what we're talking about as the main topic of the show. You, our listeners, have asked. We are working on it. We've gotten a ton of requests about top 10 lists list 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 list. but especially ones that are grouped by age Mm -hmm. of those probably the most common is asking what games would you recommend for three-year-olds yeah which i think it's weird that like we're actually going to stratify this by single digit years not like three to five but you know what this is what you want we're here for you we are going to do our very best to stratify this out, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of difference in what we recommend for three versus four. Um, once we get up into five years old, things get a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reading um, becomes a thing. Being able to sit longer sure. becomes yeah, a thing. Yeah, lots, lots, <laughs> of, lots, of, lots, <laughs> lots of things. But yeah, so this is going to be our first installment of the list, list, lists. Yeah. It's a top 10 list. <laughs> there are honorable <laughs> mentions and like community recommendations, but it is actually a top 10. Okay. <laughs> But first, you have a fact? I do. So we have talked about national parks on the show before. Yeah. We've talked about the fact that we live in the Northeast, which means there are not very many national parks. In fact, there is about one. Pretty much one national park that we can get to without a buttload of driving. Right. And that one park is? Acadia. Mm-hmm. With a recorded 338 species, Acadia is one of the premier bird-watching locations in the country. Ooh. I know. This came from, I don't remember what website. It was some national park website. Twice a year, hundreds of bird species stop in the park for rest and food as they migrate between Canada and South America along the Atlantic Flyway. They used capital letters for Atlantic and Flyway. Most songbirds migrate at night to avoid inclement weather and diurnal predators. As they fly, bright lights can disorient birds, causing them to crash into buildings. Ooh, ouch. Acadia's rocky coastline along the Atlantic Ocean is a great location to spot seabirds, which are among the most endangered groups of birds in the world. However, light pollution causes high mortality rates in fledglings of burrow-nesting shorebirds. As they fly at night, they are grounded or forced to land by bright lights. These groundings can result in road landings where birds are vulnerable to predation and vehicles or fatal collisions with buildings and wires. Yeah. So let's love our birds, our birds at Acadia, of which there are, according to this website, 338 species. There have been a recorded Mm -hmm. 338 species. Yep, yep. All right. That's our fact. I have a message from our sponsor, which is based on another listener question. Is it always better to buy a house? Or is it sometimes better to rent? The short answer is, it depends. Generally, buying is better in the long term, but only if you're maintaining the home and the neighborhood doesn't fall out of favor. However, if you don't think you'll live in a particular home for at least three years, if you don't have at least 
5% for a down payment, or if you're in an area where rents are significantly cheaper than mortgages, that isn't very many places, but as interest rates come up, there may be more of those. If any of those are true, then renting may be better for you, at least for now. When you're doing the math to see if your monthly cost will be cheaper if you were to buy, remember to consider maintenance costs, property taxes, homeowner's insurance, and any utilities that you haven't been paying for directly because they're included with your current rent. Owning a home isn't for everyone, but if you want help talking through whether it makes sense for you to buy or rent, set up a free phone call by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today. Thanks so much to the team over at First Move Financial for continuing to sponsor and support the Family Gamers. All right, so let's talk about what we've been playing this week. Sure, we've been playing uh, a bunch of review games. Uh, yes, <laughs> in fact, we have. basically it. We've been playing only four games, but a lot of times. So I guess we'll get started with Kapow. I mentioned Kapow on the show last week, and I sat down with Asher and taught Asher how to play. That's what I talked about last week. Yep. And then I kind of strong-armed Asher into sitting down with you to play Kapow. So you were right that this is a game that seems like it should be way more complex than it is. It is a combination of dice building, as you mentioned, and kind of generic dice rolling with an emphasis on almost like a bag building kind of thing. You know, you roll all your dice and then you're not allowed to change any of them normally. And you just figure out where you're going to allocate them to attack and to defend and to do special stuff. And part of the key to this is that you pretty much always want to add more things to your pool of dice as the game goes on. And you can either, depending on what you roll, try to get more faces for that buildable die or even get another buildable die to put more faces on. Or you can also just go out for more of the more generic-y kind of trait die that's already predetermined. And you really want to do both to do well in this game, because this is a game where if your opponent is getting way more dice than you, they're simply going to be able to do more stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned this last week. This is very much a cross between Dice Forge and Dice Throne. It honestly did not feel very much like Dice Throne really? at all to me. I mean, yeah. it's a one-on-one -on -one combat game. That involves rolling dice and selecting things that you're going to do with them. Yeah, but a big part of Dice Throne is looking for specific results on your dice and trying to also manipulate dice to do that. And there isn't any of that in this game. Well, but I mean, there still is the looking for specific things. It's just not set collection in the same way. Right. It's more like a deck builder or a bag builder, though, because you're trying to influence what might come up on future turns by the dice and stuff that you add to your pool. Mm -hmm. Which um, is very dice forgy. Kind of, yeah. But the attack defend part, it didn't feel like dice thrown to me, the attacking and defending. It really didn't. It felt more like a, a card-based kind of dueling game of like, I'm going to play this and you're going to defend and then you're going to play this and I'm going to defend because you know that every single turn every single round you need to do both yeah but I, I mean that particular part of it you're right feels more like a card game but the act of rolling your dice allocating your dice to particular things that are on your player board with pictures that's a very dice thrown kind of a thing it's just the mechanics of the attack and defense that's different and feels a lot more of a one-on-one -on -one tactical combat game 
I mean, I guess it sounds to me like what you're saying is they look really similar, but the actual mechanics of how you do it is completely different. Other than the fact that there are dice and you put them on a board. You allocate your dice the exact same way you do in Dice Throne. It's just the it's combat not that, mechanics. No, you don't. Sure you do. In Dice Throne, you have to pick one thing and go for that, and you re-roll to try to go for that one thing, and you have to stay flexible to try to make sure that you get a one thing. You're not allowed to allocate your dice all over the board in Dice Throne and do a bunch of different stuff. <sighs> uh, sure. Like, I see what you're getting at, but I disagree because it didn't feel like that for me at, at all. Okay. But it was fun. And I enjoyed it. We definitely, now that all three of us have learned how to play, we now really need to try it with the hero and villain characters and not just with the generic boards. And solo mode. Oh, yeah. I didn't even notice that. Sure. Every hero or villain can be flipped over for a solo automata. Okay. We also played a few games of Pirate Blast. In particular, we really wanted to make sure we played it with all five of us before we finished up the details on our review that came out at the end of the week. This is a silly kids game is what it is, but I like that there was the expandability to combine two boxes together and allow for more than four players. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was fun. Next on our list, we are continuing to play more Unmatched. We are playing a lot with Houdini and the Genie. We mixed in Bruce Lee a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has been really entertaining. I managed to squeak out a win with Bruce Lee while we played at the restaurant that we played at. It definitely felt a little bit less unbalanced, I'm going to say, when we took out Houdini and swapped in Bruce Lee. I really think a lot of it has to do with the particular map that we're on. So some of it is the map. I played again after I started writing the review. And I think I've figured out the secret for playing Houdini well in a situation like that. It's a small map. Genie can get basically anywhere, and Genie is a ranged character. So the secret to Houdini is boosting. Boosting, 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 boosting. But there are two pieces to that. First of all, when you boost Houdini's movement, you can put him anywhere on the map. Secondly... So many of Houdini's special things on his cards relate to boosting. So just like the genie has a lot of special things that say, discard some cards to do this extra stuff. Houdini has a lot of boost to do this extra stuff. And what makes it work is that a number of Houdini's cards have this special new thing on them called a boost bonus, Mm -hmm. where when you use that card to boost you get that boost value and also a extra thing that you're doing. So it's like boost and draw a card, boost and deal two damage to an opponent, boost and gain another action. And so the big thing with Houdini is that you need to keep kind of massaging your hand of cards to do those things. And that can put you on equal footing with a much stronger out of the box character like the genie. Yeah, the really difficult part about that is that you end up putting yourself in a situation where the genie can attack you twice because he's a melee character and he's got to get up close to do any attacking. But that's the other reason why the board is good because all of the secret passages make it so that you can get far enough away from the genie that you make the genie maneuver to come get you again. Both Houdini and the genie have ways to use their special things to get more actions. And so that's part of the piece here too so that you can maneuver you know maybe with a boost attack 
and then back off. Yeah, but you can't do that with Houdini consistently. There's a lot less with his character that allows you to get extra actions. There's there's less of that, but also don't forget that a lot of the versatile cards and defense cards also do things that sometimes allow you to boost or allow you to move a character after using it for defense. And so all of those things together can make it more equal footing. Okay. I will admit that Houdini is a much harder character to play with well. And the last one that we've been working on playing this week is more of Oh My Brain from 25th Century. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a zombie game that doesn't feel like a zombie game to me. Like, yes, brains are involved, but I don't feel the constant press of this undead obnoxiousness in the same way that I do with well, some other zombies. It's games. a silly zombie game, and that makes it easier to deal with. I mean... The zombies are animals. The illustrations remind you that you're kind of fending off these random, weird zombie animals, including, I think, a zombie spider? There's also like yeah, undead, creepy crawling Zombie things. bunny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still not sure that the theme really fits with the game, but I do enjoy the game. I think they do a good job with Oh My Brain of having the lighter side of the undead. Sure. And that's it for us this week. Yep, it's been a busy week. Not too busy to be able to welcome the new members to our community, though. Sure. So we've got five new members. Mm-hmm. So hello to Barbara. Welcome to Allison. Hello to Michael. Welcome, Mary. And welcome, Karina. We are so glad that you have come along and joined the family, so to speak. We continue to have great chats I don't know about the quality of the Family Gamers community chat Ooh. these past couple of days. It went into disgusting smells recently, which was something special, I suppose. I, it was something. Someone asked everybody to share what's the most disgusting thing they smell. Right. And people were happy to oblige. However, I will say this. This started because Stefan shared a for science in this chat, which was something else and i'm going to read what he said because i asked if it would be okay to share it i'm gonna say what it was first it was a durian fruit drink durian smell awful and the color of it was like this yellowish white in the video it just it looked disgusting so stefan asks do you have fruit in america and I, I don't think we do but he describes it it's a boost with only fruit and juice the texture was similar to that, but almost kind of grainy, and I'm sure there was some added sweetener. The taste of <laughs> this is so gross. The taste reminded me of the smell in my bathroom when the sewage broke, mixed with fermented fruit. Ugh. Ugh, Which, gross. because I'm so broken, just kind of actually does make me want to try it. But I'm weird. Nope. So not anyway. even a little. Yeah, so uh, thank you, Stefan, for sharing your For Science video with everyone. <laughs> There's video in that Family Gamers community chat if you really want to see. Oh, he made a face. He oh, made man. he made the, I'm just going to yep. drink this all down right away because yep. if I stop, I will never be able to start again. Yep, I recognize that face very much. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why. Mm. So that's it. Welcome again to our new members to the community. We hope that you are getting your questions answered, and we hope that as we ask questions, you weigh in as well. So at this point, we're going to take a break. You're going to hear our snap review for Pirate Blast, that game that we were just talking about. We had a lot of fun making this one. We'll be right back.
Yes, me hearties! It's time for a seafaring battle to claim Monkey Island! Where be your cannons? I can't find any cannons. But I brought some monkeys! Are you okay? This is a snap review for Pirate Blast <laughs> Battle for Monkey Island. This is a fast-paced, silly card game for two to four players ages eight and up. Pirate Blast was created by Little Darling Games. We reviewed their game Race to Stupid last year. <laughs> so let's talk about the art in Pirate Blast. Race to Stupid had basically no art in it at all, so what about this game? Since Pirate Blast is intended for a younger audience, there's plenty of colorful characters here. Monkeys... Parrots, dolphins, they're all presented as friendly, boldly colored illustrations with no text anywhere on the cards. Although the contents of each player's deck are identical, they're color-coded to make it easier to set up and get started. We actually have two versions here. We have the standard box, with decks in red, blue, green, and black. And we have the tropical edition, with orange, purple, yellow, and light green. Every player gets their own five-card ship with two options for sail patterns. This is helpful if a skull and crossbones is too scary. But either way, the sails on the boats match the player colors. So enough about the art, let's talk about how you play the game. Pirate Blast is all about lobbing cannonballs at your opponents and being the last ship afloat. Each player sets up their ship and shuffles their own deck of cards. Players take turns clockwise, flipping the top card off their personal deck. If it's a cannonball, place it on another player's ship wherever you want to. A monkey can grab a cannonball and throw it at someone else. Dolphins can carry away a single cannonball from your waterline. Parrots hang on the mast and can block a single cannonball aimed at you. Bananas distract monkeys. Coconuts knock parrots off their path. Some cards just put even more randomness into the game. The bottle of rum makes you discard off the top of your deck. The octopus lets you steal off the top of everyone else's deck, and the pelican lets you swoop in and immediately use a card from the discard pile. If your ship is covered in cannonballs at the beginning of your turn, you can flip one more card off your deck. If it's a monkey or a dolphin, they take away a cannonball and you stay alive. Otherwise, you're out of the game. The game usually ends when only one player's ship is still afloat. There are still two or more players left when the cards run out, then whoever has the least damaged ship wins. So, Andrew, what did we expect from this silly little game, Pirate Blast? Well, we expected it to be a kid-friendly game that pretty much anybody could play. It takes two minutes to learn, maybe, and usually less than ten minutes to actually play the game. It seemed like the kind of game that's mostly about having fun together and being silly, because the gameplay itself is mostly luck. Yeah. But there were some surprises with this one. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Keeping the cards completely text-free is both good and bad. There are nine different card types that you might flip off your deck, and that's just enough to make it tough for adults to remember what they all do. Can't remember anything anymore. There's a lot of randomness in the game, too. About half the cards you flip might give you a meaningful choice, usually where to send a cannonball. And in a two-player game, there really aren't any good choices at all. Honestly, for me, the surprise was that there actually might be some strategic decisions as long as you're playing with more than two players. If you can remember what other players have flipped, you might put a cannonball on the waterline because you know they don't have any dolphins left. Or you might pick a player's boat to put a banana on because you haven't seen their monkeys yet. Given that you end the game with a big central discard pile, I expected cleanup to be a pain. But here I was pleasantly surprised. The colored player decks really make a difference. Simply flip all the cards over, and then it's really simple to sort them out by player color. 
The colors in the Tropical Edition were kind of samey, so I would recommend sticking with the regular edition unless you really want a second set of colors for more people to play. Which does lead us to one last point. You can combine the two sets if you want to support more than four players. You could even use two of the regular box. So, Anitra, do we recommend Pirate Blast? Pirate Blast is a fun game for kids to play. It's fast-paced and a little silly, and since so much of it is luck, younger kids will still have a really good chance of winning against older siblings or parents. I'd say that Pirate Blast is best for ages 6 to 10, while providing some entertainment for the rest of us. At four players, cannonball cards bounce back and forth across the table a lot, but players rarely get knocked out early and games still stay short. This really isn't a game for your strategic gamers, but it's not supposed to be. So what are we going to rate Pirate Blast Battle for Monkey Island? We're going to give it two and a half cannonballs out of five. And that's Pirate Blast in, in a snap. snap. And we're back. Hello, hello. So we're going to talk about our top 10 games for three-year-olds. Yeah, apparently our gift guide was not enough lists, so it's going to be a whole bunch of lists. Also, my post about why I hate Candyland and what to play instead is, <laughs> is not quite enough either. I guess. But that gives you a good place to start when we talk about what can a three-year-old actually be expected to, to do or to handle in a game. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about this now or we can talk about this later. Like, what are those elements that we are looking for in games that we think really fit a three-year-old? I actually went to a medical, like, what to expect from your kid site. <laughs> what to expect when you're expecting a three-year-old. <laughs> yeah. So three years old is a huge ability range. You're talking about everything from 36 months to 47 months. Mm -hmm. Sometime in the span of that year kids should be able to recognize color differences. They might not know the names of all the colors, but they can say this color matches or doesn't match that one. They should be able to sort things by size. Mm -hmm. They can start to understand concepts like before or after, or I do this and then I do this, which is helpful in games. Sure. They can count a little bit, like one, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> they can stack things, some, and they can draw very, very simple shapes, like a line or a circle. Also, their attention span is usually still under 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I would expect that to be the case. I thought you were going to say 10 seconds. So, <laughs> uh, For some kids, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we don't want reading, but we want things like pattern matching, simple dexterity games, and lots of memory. Kids this age tend to be really good at memorizing stuff. Or actually getting really excited about memorizing things as opposed to when they go to school and they hate the idea of memorizing things. I mean, hopefully a three-year-old is not being forced to memorize things. Well, in no, but yet, like, but yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, when we play a memory game, we're like, oh, we remember the thing. Sweet. But when a three-year-old plays a memory game and they flip something over and they got it right, they're, and like, they're like, yay! Or they flip something over, they're like, ooh, ooh I know where that is. Yes. yes. Yeah, it's very right. exciting. Mm -hmm. So let's dive right into our top 10-ish list. <laughs> Sure. So we'll start at the beginning. And the first game that's on this list is a game that really skews a little bit closer to that 36 month. Yes. And less of that 47 month. And this is Roll and Play. Most of these I've seen are from ThinkFun. Roll and Play is a huge, squishy die with almost like plastic pockets on the faces of the die so that you can put in these little different activity cards. So you roll the die and then everybody does the thing. 
It only barely fits in there as the concept of game, but you can think of it as a cooperative game. Everybody's doing this thing together. Well, and this gets into some of what we referenced a few minutes ago. One of the things that's really important about this age range is that they're starting to learn how to take turns. Yeah, taking turns is huge for three-year-olds. So Roll and Play is a great game that that's the main skill that you're developing is taking turns. Mm -hmm. Yep. Next we're going to do the next two, I think, together. So we, of course, are familiar with that yellow box. That's Haba. Yep. And the folks over at Haba have realized that they want to target even younger kids than, you know, your primary school, middle mm -hmm, grade mm -hmm. children. And so they've released this My Very First line. And for three-year-olds, the My Very First Rhino Hero Jr. and Animal Upon Animal games have some modifications that make them suitable for that zero to three range of which three-year-olds absolutely qualify. Yeah. I highly recommend that you go back and watch our review about Rhino Hero Jr. because this is one that I did, in fact, test with a two-and-a-half-year-old and he loved it. He loved knocking down the towers. Yeah, but his mom <laughs> warned me ahead of time. She's like, he doesn't stick with anything very long unless it's cars or TV. Mm -hmm. And we played for a solid 15 to 20 minutes of stacking and knocking down and stacking and knocking down. Which for a two and a half, three year old, I mean, is, it, is huge. Yes, yeah. it's very, very good. And then Animal Upon Animal, of course, many people know this game. And this is a, a game that people will play even as adults. But the junior version has bigger, chunkier pieces that, you know, your child is not going to attempt to eat. Or, I mean, they could attempt to eat them, but they're not going to successfully... <laughs> they're not going to successfully swallow eat them. them. Or anything like that. And it just makes it a less fussy, finicky less kind challenging. of experience. Yeah. I mean, challenging, sure. But it's something that three-year-old hands and three-year-old fine motor skills can handle. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where they can really explore how the stacking works in my very first Animal Upon Animal. Mm -hmm. I didn't spend much time with super little kids playing this one, but I can absolutely see two chunky little toddler hands just holding two pieces and seeing how they fit together and then putting them down. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's get a little bit closer to the upper end of the age range with games like Spot It. Yeah, so this is the first one that's on the list that I think really is going to have to have a little bit of rule modification on it. Because if you are playing this with your three-year-old, you can't really try Go super all out. hard. You just can't. Because, <laughs> yeah. you'll. I mean, that's not fair. Yeah, but I think this is a game that with a little bit of practice, even young kids can really start spotting those matches and oh, I totally agree with that. I, I absolutely than agree with that dad. part of it. But they're just not going to move as fast. I mean, they can't, you can't really play this game competitively with children, but it is a great game to reinforce pattern matching. Yeah, I agree. Spot It starts our group of games that are good starting around age three and get better as kids get a little older. The next game is more like a whole class of games because I don't want to pick just one. This is any kind of memory matching games. Mm -hmm. We already talked a little bit about it. Our kid tester absolutely adored Smush and Seek Treehouse, which is a memory matching game that also uses this little like stamper and Play-Doh. Yeah, this one I think does tend towards the younger age because I, yeah. I think that tactile part of it is really something that's going to appeal to that three to three and a half year old. Yeah. I do think that memory matching games will continue to be a powerful draw for children, but I think this whole Play-Doh The Play-Doh one it, is, is on the younger end. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be on the younger end. So you have to find that perfect slot where they're not eating the Play-Doh, but they still <laughs> love playing with yes. the Play-Doh. If you can find that, Smoosh and Seek Treehouse is perfect. 
Now we're going to get into one that our kids actually played a ton at this three-year-old age range, and that is Don't Break the Ice. All right. So we all know that Anitra's got a history with Candyland. <laughs> Or at least enough of one (laughs) to write an article all about it. I have a history with Don't Break the Ice. I don't even think you know this. I don't think I've really talked about my history with Don't Break the Ice. Don't Break the Ice was the game that I never had as a kid that I always wanted that my friend had. Mm. You know that thing? I I do. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. So like, I felt like when I was an adult and I had children, I had to get this game. Mm Mm-hmm. But then that freaking hammer noise, like as an adult, I'm like, the hammer on the plastic, this, and then that (laughs) crash at the end. And we did an episode, five episodes ago, four episodes ago, all about noisy (laughs) games. Noise, yeah. And I'm like, so my feelings on Don't Break the Ice are so convoluted inside because, like, I have a childhood longing that won't go away, but I don't like the toys that make the noise. So, like, I'm very in the middle on it. So here's what I'm going to say about Don't Break the Ice or its various knockoffs like Protect the Penguin and Penguins on Ice or whatever all those are. Don't Break the Ice is a little bit annoying as a parent. It can get noisy and a three-year-old is not going to have the ability to put it back together again to play again. They're going to need an adult to do that. It works fine, even if you lose pieces. I know this from experience. I mean, I know that, but they should have put a couple of extra ice cubes in. Well, it would have been nice if they did, yes. Mattel or whoever it was. (laughs) Cootie. I don't know. But this combines some things that little kids love, like hitting stuff with hammers and watching things fall down, with an introduction to strategy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm certainly not negative on the game. I just thought that it would be entertaining for me to share (laughs) mine. Sure. underpinnings of joy and frustration this game is not for everyone and if as a parent you think this game is gonna drive you insane don't buy it (laughs) yeah i mean certainly obviously everything here comes with a little bit of consideration for the particulars of your children yeah but that said for me it was worth it to come back every four or five minutes and set the game up again Mm -hmm. because other than setup it was a game that my kids could play independently even at ages like three and five yeah i totally get that and i mean the game's been around forever it was around when we were kids (laughs) so at this point it's a commodity it's like 10 to 15 maybe 20 dollars tops it it tends to be pretty cheap if it gets smashed just buy a new one like whatever who cares yeah there is something to be said for a game and we talk about this with cinco linko all the time where the more indestructible it is the better of a buy it is yeah (laughs) yeah exactly ages so and really who doesn't love hitting things with hammers i think we talked about that back when we reviewed hammer time from hepa Yeah, so Hammer Time is a really cute game. And the thing, here's the thing I love about Hammer Time. You are hitting the box with a hammer, but you are not supposed to hit it hard. In fact, if you hit it hard, you get nothing. Yeah, bad things happen. Yeah. And I love that about that game. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that that is an evolution of fine motor skills and also strategy that goes beyond something like a Don't Break the Ice. That's probably up in that like six-year-old range. Uh, Probably, yeah. But yeah, that's a good game. Another game that's not quite at the same commodity level as Don't Break the Ice, but which you can find in pretty much any toy store, is Suspend Junior from Mm -hmm. Melissa and Doug. Sure, absolutely. Our family had such a great time with this game, and it didn't seem like the kind of game a three-year-old would be good at. (laughs) And yet, our son Elliot was in fact just turning three when we tried suspend for the first time and the the regular suspend has metal rods and is quite slippery and is not appropriate for younger kids but suspend junior has plastic pieces 
They stick together just a little bit better with the friction. And it got to the point that he could beat us every time. So and I don't know how. By a child. <laughs> so Suspend Junior is really fits nicely in that family game where you don't even have to change the rules to let a little kid play. And yes, it is going to test motor skills. And some three-year-olds are going to struggle with it more than others. But it's also one where the consequences of doing poorly are very, very natural. Like, oh, I didn't get this thing hooked on and it fell off. Right. That's the consequences. It fell off. (laughs) And of course, with there being like an adult to spend, like this is one of those games where if this works for you, you can go to the next one as the kids get older. Yeah. If you really like it, but it's getting too easy, then get the next one, man. Mm -hmm. Speaking of games that transition in that way. We also really recommend Dragomino for three-year-olds. This one is getting into pieces that are a little bit smaller. You probably don't want to let your three-year-old play with this by themselves. Yeah. So now we're talking like 40 months. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and just you don't want all the small pieces to get lost. But for a parent or older children to play with a three-year-old, Dragomino is great. Dragomino introduces... The concepts that get used in King Domino, but in a way that's a little bit easier for a young kid to understand and with a lot more luck, which is really important in trying to play a game that levels the playing field between an older, more experienced player and a three-year-old. So I love in Dragomino, you match up the tiles and when you match up the tiles, that's when you get the dragon eggs and you don't know if a dragon egg is going to hatch into a real baby dragon or if it's just going to be an empty shell. It's a smart way to bring this down to that younger level. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Speaking of dragons, let's talk about another Haba game, shall we? Sure. It's It's been five games since know, we talked right? about Haba. Right. The next one on our list is Dragon's Breath. Now, this is another game with small pieces. It's got little small jewels in it. They're, mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. just not that large. But Dragon's Breath is a really great game for those younger ages because it's ultimately a dexterity game. Yeah, it is. And this is one where in the rules, it talks about how to make it a little bit more luck-based when you're playing with younger kids. It's right there in the rules. Instead of having everybody pick a gem color that they're claiming for this turn, you either assign them at the beginning of the game or you randomly assign them at the beginning of each turn so that you don't really know. And that can level it out a little bit for younger kids who love the idea of, I'm going to pull this ice ring off and the gems are going to fall out and I get to claim a bunch of them, but aren't really quite there at the, oh, I really want red because I see way more red gems yeah, or whatever it is. Dragon's Breath is technically rated for ages five and up. So this definitely is getting to that later end of that three mm-hmm. to four year old range kind of thing. But I think that with supervision, unlike Don't Break the Ice, this is a game that you would not just set up and, and, and walk, walk away. away. Right. This is a game that you would play with your child. Well, and to be fair, when we first tried Dragon's Breath, our youngest kid was five. But I have seen other people playing this with younger children than five. And as long as you've got some adult supervision around, it works great. They're just going to have more strategy as they get a little bit older with regards to the way that they pull the rings off. Yeah. So these last couple we're getting into have a little bit more longevity. Like, yes, it is a game that's totally approachable and appropriate for three-year-olds, but they're not going to be tired of it by the time they hit their fourth birthday. And it's a classic Hava game. This is a game for little kids that parents or older brothers and sisters can play and not 
you know, hate and, themselves and joy. Right. Yeah. And actually exactly. enjoy what they're doing. There even is an expansion. Wow. It's crazy. I know. I know. You know. But that is Dragon's Breath from Haba. Actually won Kinderspiel de Jar in 2018. For good reason. For good reason. Okay. The last one on our official top 10 list. Official. Yes. Is a game that we actually reviewed fairly recently. And this is Turtle Splash from Lucky Duck. This is a game that's combination of memory and dexterity, which is not the kind of thing you see very often. Also, I love the fact that this is a game where you start with the dexterity element, and then how well you do on the dexterity determines like how many chances you get at the memory part. And that's something that can be totally adjusted or changed or altered. Mm-hmm. So in this game, you, as the player are flicking a turtle token down a water slide into the pool at the bottom. And your goal is to basically land in the middle of the pool. However, it's a lot harder than it looks. (laughs) (laughs) To hit exactly the center. (laughs) And one of the things I really like about this when we kind of talk about playing with multiple ages is that there are guardrails on both sides of the water slide. The little ramp thing. Yeah, Yeah. that, uh, that you're flicking down. And they're easy to take off. It's easy enough that you can take the rails off for, say, an adult's turn, and immediately put them back on again for a kid's turn. Yep, it's super easy in that way, and that's one way to adjust the difficulty. And another one is, like I mentioned before, the goal is to get right in the middle of the pool, and if you do, you get two flips of the memory section, and if you get it in the pool but not, you get one flip or something like that. Those numbers don't have to be what they say in the rule book. Yeah, exactly. So if... A kid actually gets it down the hill at all, they get flips, and if they get it in the pool, they, you know what I mean, two, and then three, and then four, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But that memory element is still going to be there, and that memory yeah. element is something that really does work across all age ranges. Mm-hmm. I agree. So Turtle Splash is a really great option here. Again, fairly recently came out within the last year. Yeah. So it's a great, great thing to consider. So... These 10 are not really ranked. There's no like number one, number 10 kind of thing. They're just the top 10. But Anitra is Anitra and put extras on the list. Well, I will say they're not explicitly ranked, but if you have a kid who is maybe just turning three and you want to get them a game for their birthday, I would stick with something like Rhino Hero Jr. Yeah, the stuff we mentioned earlier. We kind of did this in a slightly older as we went along kind of a a model ish sort of (laughs) but yeah i did put honorable mentions at the bottom of the list because all three of my honorable mentions would have been in my top 10 except they're no longer in print yeah so i'm surprised to hear that hiss is out of print so hiss and go away monster were both published by game right for a long long time and i cannot find them on the game right store anymore you can still find them some other places they're relatively recently out of print, so it's not like you're going to have to go on eBay and get a used copy, whatever. I will actually say our first copy of Go Away Monster, I found at the thrift store. Mm-hmm. I've seen Hiss <laughs> at a lot of used stores. Both of those, Go Away Monster and Hiss, use big, chunky cardboard tiles that are really hard to destroy unless you're really trying to destroy them. And you don't need all of the pieces to play the game. So if you see a really beat up box of one of these in a thrift store, get it anyway. Yeah, it's fine. Doesn't matter. The third one that's my honorable mention for being out of print is Zitternix. And this one's been out of print way closer to like 10 years. I think we got this before we ever started doing the Family Gamers podcast. Yeah, so they replaced this as Haba with Go Cuckoo, kind of, sort of. But I think even Go Cuckoo is out of print now. Zitternix was a great dexterity game 
in which you have a bunch of sticks in a ring and you just kind of twist them to make this little haystack shape and then you're going to pull sticks out of the ring. Hmm? It's one of those games that's really simple to understand so a three-year-old can play it, but it's not necessarily easy to figure out the strategy and do, much like a Jenga or something like that. So it levels the playing field pretty quickly. All right, so that's our list. So we do have a couple other things that we want to bring to you, talk about that I don't know, kind of enhance the games that we're talking about, a few extra inclusions that might change people's perspective. You can think of this as Andrew's honorable mentions list. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this first couple of games is family games you might not expect a three-year-old to play. So these are games that wouldn't be suitable for a three-year-old normally, or you wouldn't expect so, but you can actually play them with a three-year-old and it works okay. It doesn't always work great. It's not always going to be the same as playing it with a bunch of adults, but it actually seems to work pretty all right. And the first one on this list is one that we learned worked out because <laughs> we did it. And that yes. was playing Zombie Dice. Zombie Dice is a really simple press your luck game. It barely requires counting. Like we said at the beginning, most three-year-olds can count to four. Well, in Zombie Dice, you actually only need to be able to count to three to know that you're out. <laughs> so we played this, I think, starting when Asher, who's now a, almost a teenager, was like two. And I mean, he would just roll and roll and roll and roll. And if he got three shotguns, oh, well, too bad. And if he didn't, he would just keep going until he had this giant pile of brains in front of him. Well, he would just win the game. Yeah. It's funny because he's now the super cautious kid out of our three. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we like damaged him. I don't know. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean, any of those games. So there's the Batman dice version, which I think yeah. is harder to find. Zombie dice is super easy to find. Yeah, zombie dice is the easiest one to find. Mm -hmm. And the theme doesn't really scream three-year-old, <laughs> but it's so simple that that a three-year-old yeah i mean you're it. so abstracted from the like really negative parts yeah. of the theme that it doesn't matter it's brains and blasts and footsteps right all right the next one again a simple dice rolling game and this is strike so i will admit to not having played this with really young kids but having played it a couple of times you a hundred percent could you can just pull them into the group and be like yes you do it too roll your die oh look those two match pull them on out mm -hmm. you get to keep those yep we talked about dragomino before you can also play King Domino. Dragomino didn't exist when our kids were really little, mm -hmm. but King Domino came out shortly after we started doing the Family Gamers podcast, and it was a very early review that I did. And at that point, we had really little kids, and I played it with them because I love that this is so visual for starting to learn how multiplication really works. You know, hey, you have two crowns on this whole set of fields, so let's count up by twos. You know, two, four, six, eight. And yes, a three-year-old is not going to get all of the counting involved there, but even a three-year-old can figure out, I want more crowns and a big connected area. Mm -hmm. The main thing that I do with kids under four or five is that I don't make them follow the five by five restriction of how big their kingdom can be, even while I do follow the restriction. Yeah, that works out really well. Our last one that is a family game that a three-year-old can probably play is Go Nuts for Donuts. So our youngest thought it was hilarious to play this game. When he was about three and a half. He was a cackling maniac when he was picking, especially if, <laughs> normally if you match cards and Go Nuts for Donuts are all like, oh man, but he was just like, ha 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 ha. It didn't matter what it was. He would just laugh like a crazy person. Yeah. So again, this requires skills normally that a three-year-old shouldn't have, like reading. However, this is when we started calling our youngest an agent of chaos mm -hmm. because he played the game for the joy of collecting donuts. It didn't matter what they were supposed to do or anything else. 
once he learned how to keep a card a secret, he which, could... Which was still... That, that took a little while. <laughs> but once he learned how to do that, he could look at the row of donuts, pick which one he wanted, and then find the number in his hand that matched the number above the donuts. And this is important because the graphic design makes it possible for someone who's not reading to make those matches. They make all of those numbers very different looking. You touched on something there that I think is really important for us to talk about in the context of this list and the four-year-old list and the five-year-old list and whatever. And that is that when our youngest was enjoying playing this game, he was enjoying the mechanics of the game, but not necessarily the air quote proper goal of the game. Yeah, he wasn't necessarily playing to win. He was playing to have fun and be a part of what everyone else was doing. And I cannot more strongly say that so many people will ask us, oh, how do I get my kids to play games? And this is the answer. It's not just you expose them, you let them play with pieces so they're familiar with them, whatever. The more you allow your kids to experience games on their own terms, the more successful you are going to be in their interest in returning to games more in the future. If you are a rules monger for your three-year-old, and even if that takes loving parental you know, models and you're being kind and you're redirecting and stuff like that, it's going to be a different experience for a child. And honestly, at these younger ages, it really doesn't matter if they play the game right or not. You just want them to play the game. Yeah. I mean, you might like it to be consistent, at least, the way well, they, but they play. Well, but you get there. But, yeah. Like you said, like it took us a while to teach him to not show his cards to everybody. And yeah. and yes, certainly, if you really want to play Gonuts for Donuts and you have some maniac who's screwing everything up, like, yeah, I understand how that <laughs> could be a little bit frustrating. But what you're doing there is investing in that child's interest in gaming for the future. Yeah. And that is so incredibly important to allow kids to experience games in the way that they want to experience them so that in the future they don't look at gaming as, oh, that's when I sit at the table and dad tells me what to do. Yeah, that's super important. Mm -hmm. So that's our top 10 and our two sets of honorable mentions. (laughs) Extras. But we also got quite a few suggestions from our community. Yeah, so I'm going to pause here and I'm going to say that we have been actively soliciting feedback from the community for a really long time. And I don't know, over the last six months or so, it seems like it's really been a lot more frequent. And I super appreciate that. I think it's a a really great part of what we're doing with the Family Gamers and the Family Gamers community. Obviously, it's helpful for us because we have more content for the show. I want everyone to be able to let their voice be heard if they want to be heard. And so we really, really appreciate the community feedback. So we have three games that I have heard about over and over over the years, but just we never knew about them when our kids were little enough. Or they came out after. Or they came out after. Aged out of. But I have heard great things about the Richard Scarry's Busy Town I Found It, which is a seek and find game that you can play completely cooperatively or semi-cooperatively. Everybody's looking, but people get points for finding the right things. Hoot Owl Hoot, which is a nice peaceful kingdom early cooperative game. And My First Orchard, which is another Habba, my very first kind of game. I can't recommend those wholeheartedly because I just don't have experience with them, but I did want to mention them. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel the same way. I hear about Hoot Owl Hoot all the time as an excellent game for kids. So we have to mention it. Anitra, you actually took a poll in the Family Gamers community. I did. We ended up with 26 unique games listed in the poll, (laughs) but I will give you the short list of ones that got the highest number of votes. The big winners in our poll were 
my very first animal upon animal go away monster (laughs) and we'll mention that more in a second don't break the ice my first orchard sneaky snacky squirrel dragon's breath and hoot owl hoot so all of these got mentioned already other than sneaky snacky squirrel if you were thinking about any of these for your three-year-old or upcoming three-year-old i would say any of these are probably a good choice i agree let's actually take some feedback that was emailed to us Alex writes in to suggest, listed below are three perennial winners that are always asked for every time by every one of my grandkids, except my 10-month-old, but give him time. From youngest to oldest, they are Roll and Play, which we already talked about, Mm -hmm. Cranium Caribou. Which is a kid's game by the same people who made the Cranium multi-sensory trivia game. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And Loop and Louie. Which... I finally saw for the first time like six months ago, but everybody always talks about how it's a fun kids game. (laughs) Yeah, it's a cute little dexterity game. Yeah. Of course, there are many more wonderful games, but these three can be played all together by my three, five, and nine-year-olds. That says a lot. Getting a three-year-old to enjoy the same game with older kids is truly a rare feat. We totally agree with you. Yes, I totally agree. And thank you very much, Alex, for writing in and suggesting that. Mm -hmm. We kicked off a whole conversation in the Family Gamers community about this. And I figured it was worth mentioning. Laura said, we played so much Go Away Monster that I had to set myself rules so as to not get bored. Like, can I pull only monsters? (laughs) Can I pull only paintings? (laughs) We talk about rule shifting to make stuff appropriate for little kids. But this is rule shifting to make sure that mom or dad doesn't lose their mind stay sane. <laughs> playing a really simple kids game mm. and i think there's a good place for that too absolutely totally agree with that great job laura and although sneaky snacky squirrel got a lot of votes there was somebody in the community who said it is one of their most hated kids games so take that for what it's worth i mean i get it like <laughs> i wonder why like sometimes there's just some mechanic that drives you bonkers yeah right obviously we feel that way about Candyland, for example yeah yeah all right I think that's it. I think it is. I hope you all enjoyed this top 10 and some list. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we're trying to focus really well on these exact age ranges, but every kid is different. By the time our oldest was 47 months, she was on the cusp of learning to read. And so she could play much more challenging games than our other kids could at the same ages. You know, and then, because we're going to do one of these for four-year-olds, our now almost teenager, was always interested in games. And so he wasn't quite there with the reading part, but a lot of the other logical connections and, and all of those strategy things. Strategy and all of that. Kind of yeah. Stuff, he could, he could Came put them together really quickly. very, very fast. So it really is dependent on your child. It's not even like they hit a threshold at a different time as someone else. There's all these different components and every one <laughs> yes. of them has their own threshold. So it may be that your five-year-old can't play a certain game on this list yet just because they haven't put something together. Or you know, when we list our five-year-old games, maybe your three-year-old can play some of them but not other ones, right? So right. it's not like all of these things move together as one kind of monolithic skill set. Every child is different. Well, and as we mentioned, the point of playing games is to have fun. And some of these, whether it's a mechanic or a theme, some kids are just not going to care. They're not going to be interested and they're not going to want to play. And that's okay. And we try very hard not to force them into something that they just don't want to do. Sure. All right. Well, we talked a lot to the community this week. We're going to keep doing that. There's lots of different ways that you can weigh in. Make your voice heard. 
we've talked about three-year-olds. What do you think might be next? <laughs> if you want to send us information about games for four-year-olds that you really like, there's lots of ways you can do it. There's already a poll on the Family Gamers <laughs> community about games for four-year-olds. Well, there you go. That's a good place to start. You can find that by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or just going to Facebook and searching for the Family Gamers community. Of course, you can connect with us directly on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube at Family Gamers AA. I highly recommend going to YouTube and watching the video for Pirate Blast that you heard <laughs> because we just had such a great time with it. And hopefully it comes out in our voices, but I think you will laugh if you see what we did. I mean, it's five minutes, right? So come on. Anyway, you can also do what Alex did and shoot us an email. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Please check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. You can find t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and I think we put tank tops on there. We're getting close to tank top weather. And yeah. Anyway, thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch, M-E-R-C-H. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like it and tell your friends about it, please. It's the best way to get the word out there is to tell your friends. The next best way is to leave us a review at Apple Podcast. Other podcast subscription sources are great, but really Apple Podcast makes the biggest difference to letting people find us. It really does. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks again to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the show. All right. Well, Anitra, if you've been paying attention, you know that the next episode is number 339. Yes. Do you know what that means? Uh, there's a guest and also it's a multiple of three. Okay. Those are both three. <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> we have a certain guest that we have on every X39 oh. episode who has already agreed to come on the show next week. Fantastic. So for all of you who are wondering who it is, you can figure it out by going to thefamilygamers.com. Yes, you can. And until then, everybody, play, play games, games with, with your kids. kids.